Welcome back to the Koryu podcast, where we discuss the cultural differences between uh, Japan and Canada. Uh, I'm Zach from Canada. I'm Noah from Japan. And returning again this week uh, is Urs Hyun. Hey guys, still here on the second <laughs> bonus episode where we're continuing our conversation from the first part. So Ernest here, I'm a Canadian living in Japan. Yeah, just um, with, with a lot of these episodes we have with guests, we, we, so we just have like a really good time talking. So why not do a bonus episode? So actually, one thing um, I wanted to ask you about Ernest was like, how was like, how was the tr- kind of transition between COVID then going into COVID, like how much did things change in in Tokyo? Sure, I think it was a bit interesting in that sense when the whole world kind of went on lockdown and Japan mm-hmm. kind of had to go on lockdown, but not everything was fully locked down. Like compared to mm-hmm. what I've experienced in Japan versus people back at home or in other parts of the world, it's definitely not as strict here. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. stores are still open, but they're open. For a limited time, like they shut down earlier, so it's a little bit of right. inconvenient if you're inconvenience if you're used to the Tokyo that never sleeps, right? Like things are opened until mm-hmm. eight at mm-hmm. night. Convenience stores are always yeah. open. Restaurants run late. Um, so that was kind of an interesting transition, going from kind of like normal life to all of a sudden things are technically in a in a state of emergency. And I think people kind of took the first one a lot more seriously. I don't know how things were in Osaka, mm. yet, but at least in Tokyo, people stayed at home. There weren't a lot of people out and about. I mean, I had a friend that was here and he kind of got caught in all of it. Like he was here for vacation and he ended up staying a lot longer because of COVID oh, and he didn't want to go back to where he was from because, you know, things were kind of worse over there. So, and he liked Japan a lot, sure. so he kind of used it as an experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I would kind of just meet up for like, evening walks not in like any big major station we went to like places like more mm-hmm. local areas and it was just really nice or interesting to see that kind of different perspective of how like For things sure. how quiet things were, are but sometimes we ended up passing by like shibuya not because we wanted to go there it's just you know, we were walking in like a certain area in order for us to get back. We have to go to like a major station like Shinjuku or Shibuya. Right. We ended up going to Shibuya at 10 o'clock. And, you know, from all the pictures that everyone sees or all the videos that you watch about like Japanese culture and the streets of Shibuya, it's always packed, right? Especially that the famous crossing, right? And this was the first time in my life after still traveling here so many times that the crossing was like practically empty. Wow. That was kind of like a bit foreign yeah, post-apocalyptic experience <laughs> wow 10 p.m on a friday night shouldn't there be people here oh you can literally yeah. see the streets right yeah yeah it was kind of it was kind of similar here a bit like um i would see pictures of of like the eaton center without mm. any people in it and like you couldn't even recognize like the floor like patterns because like you just never see them because it's always like, right just swarmed with people so it was like <laughs> yeah it's just it was definitely very interesting to see here too yeah that's definitely um, a good part to compare like the that crosswalk young and dundas to shishu it has yeah. that kind of similar experience right with the, like the neon neon lights big billboard signs the the amounts of people all the the shopping the plazas and everything for sure yeah yeah so I, yeah for now yeah for you so so when you went back to japan how was osaka when I went back to Japan, actually, I went to, you know, Haneda Airport first. Mm-hmm. And then I had to sure, sure. have uh, like uh, two weeks quarantine. So, uh, yeah, actually, I had the experience to stay in airport at one night, actually. So, oh, okay. yeah. And then after that, I moved to hotel. I like uh, I booked at the airport and then two weeks. And after that, I... Uh, went back to Osaka and then it was, <laughs> I don't really feel like a changing, but I stayed, you know, mm-hmm. for almost two years in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like, sh- like culture shocked. Like, sure. how can I put this? Like, uh, when I, when I went to Canada, I was culture shocked, but when I went back to Osaka again, I was like mm-hmm. culture shock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I took a train in Osaka, yeah, it was mm-hmm. so like empty, like uh, more empty than like a 
normal. Yeah, I felt like that. So, yeah. But now, I think people in Osaka, you know, as honest, like I mentioned before, like, uh, you know, still, you know, restaurant just open like short in a short time. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't really see like a, like a big, big difference. Like a wow. more, mm-hmm. mm, now, like people. Oh, sure, sure. Now, like uh, people have to be patient, but now, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they want to go outside now. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, in Japan, so like uh, there are a bunch of like uh, big malls. So now it's mm-hmm, closing. Sure. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's in oh, okay. Tokyo too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or after, was it in Golden Week? It's like in I Golden Week. by like Hibiya and Ginza and that was kind of another one of those moments where like all the stores were made oh, sure. closed and this mm. is Golden Week, like prime shopping time right. during the mm. break. Sales <laughs> happen during this time and retail is like, I guess, I don't, I don't know if the word forced to close down, but yeah, they, they were shut down. So it was kind of interesting. You still see people out and about walking in these, you know, Ginza and these areas where it's known for shopping, but not, not, nothing was opened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, the, whether it's the government or yeah, I guess it, you can say I guess it's just the government trying to do what government. they can to kind of control the situation because I guess in Japan I, I would say at least from what I'm seeing the data it things aren't really getting better right? <laughs> yeah right it's nice that you know in this part of the world and from an Asian culture mask and sanitation and hygiene has always been mm, quality yeah. in, in, with Japanese right so we never had these challenges of people not wearing masks and people not mm. social distancing, although it can be challenging in Japan because, you know, in Osaka yeah. and Tokyo, the popular day, sorry, the population density is so high that, you know, you, yeah, you go yeah. on a train, you, you can't social distance, right? Like you're, you got yeah. people all around you 360, <laughs> right? But at least Japanese people have always, I think, you know, kept the city very clean. You know, now mm. you have like sanit- sanitizer in every store you go into and it's widely available mm-hmm. for everyone. So Every mm. day, if I go to like a supermarket, I can get sanitized right off yeah. before I enter, and then I leave mm. and sanitize again. So that's always kind of provided kind of a comfort and a, a sense of safety, or, or mm. more of a bit of layer sure. of protection against you know this this pandemic that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like that's like it, that's that's one thing that's really interesting is that so well like for like right now things in Japan I guess aren't the greatest right now for COVID. But, like, when you compare Japan to other countries, like, it hasn't been nearly as bad. Because, like, for just Ontario, I think we still have more cases per day than the entirety of Japan. And we have, like, less than a tenth of the population. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and on top of that, Ontario, despite, you know, the major cities, the population isn't as dense, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's like the GTA is pretty dense. And I guess, like, Ottawa got no area is. But then other than that, like, it's not really okay dense. Yeah. it's not that yeah mm. i guess i guess it is in the, i guess one of the reasons is because we just don't have that culture here of wearing masks when Mm-mm-mm. you get sick so yeah that's a, that's what's kind of like yeah kick a, a bit of a kicker too because people are in cars too so there's isolation and separation happening and yeah from what i heard from friends and my family back home most people are just going out for grocery shoppings and there most stores have mm-hmm. a, yeah. a social distance process like you can't get in the store yeah people are lining up. I don't know if that still exists anymore because, you know, maybe they've changed it or they made it more strict, mm-hmm. but at least maybe last year and late last year, I've heard is that if, if people want to go to Costco, like there's no, they're only letting a certain amount of people in the store. You have to kind of wait outside in the cold. And even then yeah. people are kind of spaced between like, I guess six feet apart is the, is the norm, right? So they actually have like stickers yeah. or signs that, you know, yeah, you yeah, yeah, in yeah. Circle. Like you sure. can't get anywhere close to the person in front or behind you. Right. Um, so, and then from like a square kilometer, like distance, the population isn't as dense, like as to Tokyo. Like if I were to go to Shibuya now, like there's mm-hmm. the closest person to me would probably be like two feet. Right. And we're still trying to yeah, avoid yeah, each yeah. other, but it just happens that the next person is also two feet. So like, we can't get any more. Someone's personal space. Right. So it's, it's mm. kind of interesting in that sense where how, like you mentioned Zach, how different countries are approaching this mm-hmm. and the challenges that yeah, they're being yeah. faced. And if anything, there are some of the flaws that are being exposed in, in certain systems. Right. 
Absolutely, yeah, for mm. sure. Yeah. Like, Ernest, do you do you go to work by train or just you are working from home now? I'm working from home, so fortunately、okay. for me, I've still been working from home, and I've been working from home since the early part of March of last year, 2020.、So、oh, wow! It's been、wow. like a year、mm. plus for me. That's really good.、Yeah. Oh, okay. So you don't need to experience like uh so many, you know. Like a train, like you have to take a train, like yeah, yeah. Like, kind of sucks that、okay. people still have to in their normal commute because、yeah. they're being exposed unnecessarily to risks、mm-hmm. that can be really just averted easily, right? Like if the company's not making the staff go into the office, then it's just kind of that minimal risk you don't need necessarily need to take, right?、Mm-hmm. And then on、mm-hmm. top of that,、sure. some of us foreigners, how do I put it? May or may not speak full on Japanese, right? And if you've ever gone、mm-hmm. to through the healthcare system here, it's it's a different experience. Even if you speak it, you may not necessarily know all the terminology that the doctors are using、mm-hmm. to explain, or、yeah. how do you explain that you're not feeling well? And I don't mean COVID specifically, right? Because I guess with COVID, you just ask, "Can I get tested?" I don't feel so well. <laughs> But if you're <laughs> yeah, feeling yeah. like you have more difficult ailments, or you're not feeling well in certain areas that you can't really explain to a doctor, then As a foreigner, you may have challenges here,、right? mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because、yeah, like even, I mean, well, even even when you go to the hospital and like as your home country and you're speaking your own native language, for sure, there's still times where the doctor could tell you something and you might not understand what he's、yeah. talking about.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, for sure.、Um, and sorry, just I don't. This is this is like completely. Uh, I guess kind of off topic, but I, something I was really wondering about. But、um, what was your experience like finding an apartment in Japan? Ah,、mm. uh, <sighs> when I first moved here, I I did the share house because、mm. oh, okay. the share house was close to the office, and I guess at that time、mm. that's when I started making a few YouTube videos, and I、mm. just at that time I didn't have a lot of equipment. I I just filmed on my phone, so the audio wasn't sure, great, sure. and I just kind of pieced. Some short videos, and that's where I kind of explained some of my experiences there. But that was kind of a very simpler time for me because I just had my two luggages, and I just lived in a in a、mm. space where you know they provided you a room and everything. So finding that wasn't difficult. You know, I googled it、uh, before I moved here, and I found certain companies. But this one, in terms of price, the location, and it being close、mm-hmm. to the office at that time, it I felt it made sense because I didn't necessarily need to do the commute, and I can be kind of close to the office to just kind of make things simple as I settle in, right? So I stayed there for, for about、sure. four months. Finding that place wasn't hard, but my experience is、mm-hmm. finding a place in Japan was that you needed to find an agent, and they're all over.、Mm-hmm. The you know, you don't for sure necessarily need to sign with anyone that you're exclusive with them. At least in my experience. And then、mm-hmm. you kind of tell them what you're looking for, which areas that you'd like to see, and then they go through the database, which is available across all the real estate.、Um, I guess you call it the fudosans in Japan, right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> the people that help you find places, whether you're buying, you're sure, selling, sure. or you're renting. You know, it's the same database that they're searching. It's like the Google for for places to live. Sure. Are available <laughs> parking, <right? laughs> they, they go for the system. So whether you go with this company or this company, more or less, you'll get kind of the same. Inventory or availability, right? And then you tell them which units you like to see, and then they'll call up the landlord or the company responsible for filling the occupancy for this place. And the the real estate agent will kind of explain the situation. I have a client here that so and so. They'll mention your nationality and your status and things like that. They're a foreign worker and things like that. And that's where I kind of. Wouldn't say I saw、mm. challenges, but that's where I'm sure people have heard that there are certain restrictions、yeah. or challenges for foreigners for、sure. to rent in here, and that is still pre-、um, prevalent in what I've seen. Right. So, if for example,、yeah. what I mean here is that if there was, let's say, on a given day, I was going to see ten、um, units, and that's quite busy, right? Like, you know, the agent has to take you to ten yeah, places. Yeah, that's a lot.、Day. Yeah, that's a lot. It, it's fun, but at the same time, by the fifth <laughs> unit, you're you're done. You're pretty much done, right? <laughs> <laughs> as a foreigner moving、yeah. to Japan, it's, it's a really exciting experience because you get to see places, you get to imagine、mm-hmm. like, hey, this may be an apartment I'd be living in, right?、Um, so where I was getting at with the, the whole foreigner experience is that so they'll call up this landlord and then they'll tell you that this person is a foreigner, you know, has a nationality,、mm-hmm. is Canadian,、um, and then at that point, from that time, you will hear whether or not you are accepted to see the place or not, not not rented or not, just even granted、yep. to see the place. So, because、yeah. you're, let's say you're a foreigner, and this landlord doesn't really want to, you know, let's say 
deal with foreigners because I guess one of the problems that people have had in the past is that, you know, Japan is very real. Mm. There's a lot of unity. Um, it's a lot of mm-hmm. self-preservation, a lot of self-sacrifice for the greater good, right? And, you know, kind of exaggerating, yeah. but you tend to can't yeah, just yeah. do freely what you want to do, like in a Western world, right? Like, you know, for mm-hmm. example, what I mean here is your garbage disposal, your recycling, it's all done in specific days of yeah. the week, right? And it's all split, yeah, you yeah. know, plastic goes here, um, glasses go here. Like you can't mm-hmm. just put a bag down and say, hey, today's recycling, so I'm going to recycle this whole thing. And someone's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not done that way, right? So I guess landlords and Japanese people have had some problems with foreigners who don't necessarily always follow the rules, right? Give or take. Some of them are ridiculous, but so there is a chance that you may not be able to see certain mm-hmm. units that you're interested at the beginning. But once you are able to see a unit, it's pretty much up for grabs. And my experience with mm-hmm. it is that the real estate agent, it might be a sales tactic, but they, it's not high pressure or anything, but they do recommend that if you like a unit, especially in a city like Tokyo, then you probably mm-hmm. should make the decision on the spot or on the day of, because chances are, if you see a place, let's say on Saturday and you need kind of the night to sleep on it and make the decision on Sunday, it's probably gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the first days I was looking at units and maybe in Zach and Canada, our experiences, you are moving to places or you're considering um, renting a different place. You feel like you have a little bit more time, right? <laughs> you know, you can, yeah, yeah it depends it depends on where but yeah yeah because like toronto is also pretty crazy that might just be a toronto thing yeah Yeah. no doubt doubt. but tokyo it's like yeah the real estate is pretty much saying like if you like this place you probably should make an offer now because yeah yeah. i was Mm. i was saying like the first one of the first days when i went to see units i saw five or six on one day and then we didn't make any decisions and I wasn't really fully sold on all the places. And then by the next, by the next time I saw the agents next week, the real estate agent next week, he said, Oh yeah, by the way, all the places that you saw last week, they're all, they're all gone. <laughs> yes. But he told me that by Sunday it was gone. It wasn't like from Saturday to Saturday, it was gone. He just told me by the next Sunday afternoon, the last unit was gone. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So the wow. current place I'm living in, if it helps listeners about experience finding an apartment is, um, mm-hmm. I saw this place that I'm currently in right now and I made the decision on the spot because I knew that for if sure, I didn't, sure. it was going to be probably gone by the next day. And I actually had my eye on this particular unit. It's nothing special or anything. It's just the location was where I mm-hmm. wanted it to be. The size was good. The layout was decent and we had our eye on it for some time, but the previous person that was living here hadn't moved yet, but it was already on the market. So it was kind of like you can right, see right. it online, but you yeah, yeah, yeah. see the place yet, but you want it. So it's kind of like, oh, it's available now. The I, mm-hmm. you know, the agent contacted us and I was like, let's let's do it tonight. I'll, I'll take me to the place. Yeah, I want yeah. to see. <laughs> yeah, that's how I'm here now. <laughs> Long story short. Yeah. Mm, sure, sure. Um and did, did you find that was the same across Tokyo or did you find that as like mostly in the more popular areas? Hmm, I mean, I've only lived in Tokyo so far, but I can probably Hmm. imagine it being very similar, like it being, uh, especially Tokyo being the capital and most of the population density is here, if not in Aichi or in Kansai, right? That Hmm. the demand for places is quite big in Tokyo. I think Mm -hmm. here as a, as someone that's lived in Toronto, I find the rent, here to be reasonable but as locals and japanese mentioned the rent in tokyo is quite ridiculous Mm. like what you're paying for something in tokyo you can Mm. still get in osaka for like half the price and more of the space huh yeah yeah yeah. i think it it depends on the place actually and then uh like honest did you when you go went to japan like you was sharing you were sharing the house with someone else yeah i stayed at a yeah, share house yeah. initially because i wasn't in the country yet so it didn't make sense to kind of find a place or mm-hmm. try to contact mm-hmm. the real estate. Right. i didn't have yeah. any contacts at that time so it yeah, just didn't yeah, seem yeah. like a good idea like to contact mm-hmm. a foreign company to help you and i find that if you're not trying to do this from a japanese um how do I put it? A ja- take the Japanese route to do it with an agency that speaks Japanese and they can get you the access mm-hmm. through more places. Then I think you're only limited to what a foreign real estate agent can yeah. tell foreigners. So mm. the units might not be as 
widely available. They might not be to what you're looking for, or really mm-hmm. it's just the inventory for foreigners isn't that great from what I hear too, right? Because I've had some yeah. colleagues who have had to go in with a foreign company to look because um, they and their spouse couldn't speak the local language. So they had to go with a foreign mm-hmm. um, company to help them. And they were happy with their place, but they found some struggles with it. Like that person actually went on the Japanese site and looked for inventory and showed it to the foreign agency yo can you get me this because what you're giving me isn't helping me right and then i think they were able to get some access to some but it was still you know there's still still challenges yeah at at hand (laughs) Mm, interesting so is there any kinds of like website to find uh like especially like a like a shelling house in japan like uh, for foreigners yeah, I think I mm-hmm. simply did the did some Google searches. But interestingly mm-hmm. enough, if you speak Japanese to the listeners, try doing both because you get a very different experience. So I did searches in English and I got a lot of sites and communities or networks mm-hmm. that were obviously catered to foreigners. Like if you're looking for a share house, cheap, low, um, simple, move in now type of style, right? And yeah, yeah. I actually noticed the price was actually a little bit more from certain areas, like mm-hmm. popular places. Like if you're a foreigner, you want to live in Shinjuku or close to Sumida or in, in Akasaka um, mm. or Shibuya type of places. Then the rent was actually higher in a share house in those areas. And then when I searched in Japanese, I got searches that were catered to really more people that can speak Japanese that were looking for affordable housing or shared housing. And I think mm-hmm. at that time, the place I found, I was paying $600 Canadian a month for a room, which was like my mm-hmm. cost of living was actually cheap, much cheaper than I was in Toronto. So that's why when for I sure. mentioned yeah, earlier, sure. like that, that was actually a simpler yeah. time for me because my rent was cheaper. I owned less things. I had like less problems, I felt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe happier. You're in a foreign country. You, you're just living in a room. And, you know, the share house mm-hmm. I stayed in was with... Um, as crazy as it sounds now, was with 12 other people. So including myself, um, wow. 12 people. So six people on one floor, six people on another floor. We all each had our own room, uh, multiple mm-hmm. toilets, multiple showers, um, two cook, uh, two kitchens. Um, we didn't have the shared common area like some other share houses, which I think may or may be a very different experience. So if you're yeah. looking for privacy, um, if you're first moving to Japan or you're looking for a place for longer stay, then maybe a share house where you just have a room to yourself and you just kind of want to go in and out. You're not here to meet people or interact and sure. But I've also had some share house mates that lived there. They actually wanted that common shared space to hang out and just chill because yeah. some of the people I met were actually English, te- um, English teachers there. So they definitely had a different experience than I did because they didn't really speak the language. Um, mm. You know, they yeah. had to kind of fend for themselves in some sense because, you know, they would kind of try to cook, but, what happens is like your roommate or your housemate is cooking at 10 p.m. and you wanted to cook at the time and they're not done until 11 p.m. So now you have to cook at 11 p.m. So Ooh, it, you have to yeah, do it that, right? And if, you know, I luckily I was in the room that was furthest from the kitchen, so I didn't have to kind of deal with the, like the cooking smells that were left behind, the odor. You mm-hmm. know, they're not that it smelled bad, but you know, like this is the reason why we have kitchens separated from a bedroom, right? So you don't have yeah, that of course. <laughs> after smell, right? But sometimes that was there, you know, the oils, the the scents, the the, the spices mm-hmm. were left behind, right? So mm, one sure. of those things you have to kind of deal with. But overall, I'd say my experience staying at a share house was quite positive and I would have stayed there longer. But, you know, at that time, it was just time to move out for me. Like, Arnish, do you think sharing the house is like a more common way to live in japan like uh compared to toronto like uh, when i yeah when i went to toronto i I could find easily you know shelling a house actually so you couldn't find easily right is what you're saying uh in my case luckily i could oh i could find it yeah 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 yeah. but uh what about like in tokyo like because i've never had to look for a share house and I'm sure Sack can also speak for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same for me. Yeah, I know yeah, how yeah, yeah. easy it was, but my experience of meeting Japanese friends, they would always end up staying in like an Italian person's basement or a Filipino was very common. Filipino mm-hmm. yeah, basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. So I guess that, that level of share house was always available, but my perception of a share house was always like 
I don't want to say terrace house, but that was kind of my unit with other people and you have your own kind of private space, but no one was kind of the owner. It's just everyone else is there is a share house. So, and with yeah, the yeah. population size and the function of how Tokyo functions, I think mm. finding share house or the concept of share house is a lot more common, at least in my experience, maybe because I was more exposed to it because I had to find it. But in Toronto, mm. I just what was, wasn't aware of it. Right. Cause I, you know, I, yeah, I lived yeah, there. Too. Right. I mean, I was native there. I grew up there. So I, that concept mm. of, you know, is share house experience different. I think, yes, it is, but I never considered or was conscious about it in Canada. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Because yeah, it's same as me. Like uh, I'm native, you know, Japanese person. So I, didn't you know i haven't you know never you know trying to find exactly. a sharing a house like yeah. so yeah don't need that experience mm. but i do think it's quite common and easy in, in tokyo for for viewers listening mm. i mean there's so much yeah, for sure. companies helping people and it's not just like foreign foreigners that are mm. here to like work from like a western society since i moved here you actually have a lot of people from southeast asia in japan working too so it isn't like mm. your typical for british sure. person or american person or European coming to Japan because they want to have the, you know, the Japanese experience. It's really a lot of people from India, from Indonesia, mm. Thailand, Taiwan, just coming here because the opportunity is better for them that I've met. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure, yeah. mm. If that shares them light or some insights for listeners. <laughs> that was a bit of a new thing for me because I always just assumed there was always people that were coming from like English speaking societies that were Yeah, 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 for sure. And, but that's not the case. Once you live here, you see a more localized version of, you know, the walks of life here, you know? Yeah, it was really cool cuz mm. like I, said, I I guess for sure it's, it's just different when you're from the place cuz like usually you don't end up in those situations like <laughs> exactly. um just speaking in just like in i guess kind of north america in general maybe but usually people don't live with like strangers unless it's like maybe like get a roommate just because it's cheaper but usually it's just like maybe one or two people right i feel like most of the time usually not like 12 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's so true i don't really, like if you don't really think about it but yeah like you'd have a roommate or two maybe four at max including you to really yeah. like cut down costs and if you have like a very big house or you do it back in the day you're in school right if you were studying yeah. abroad you would just get together with your schoolmates and you just rent this house off campus or close exactly. by and, yeah you know just to mm. you know you know you're only there temporarily right you don't think about it too much but i think the concept of a share house was new to me because i never lived with roommates myself you know i lived in mm -hmm. canada i studied locally and all that so i never had roommates or needed roommates for better or worse in that experience um and i'm also an only child so just the concept of having to share mm. stuff is, is still right. a little bit more foreign to me but you know i try to be <laughs> with the share house sure. experience itself it's definitely something new for me because it was like mm. having roommates and having share housemates at the same time <laughs> yes this is turning into like the experience of living in japan episode right <laughs> not the worst <laughs> Like, Alice, do you think, like, do you want to live, like, in another area, like, except Tokyo, like, for example, like, a countryside, or, like, in Osaka, anywhere, like, uh, ah. in Japan, what do you mm. think? Yeah, very interesting question. I mean, for me, I do see myself staying in Japan longer term, and mm -hmm. it would be nice that I can experience living in the rural area sometime i mean maybe not right now because i like the convenience and the excitement of tokyo mm -hmm. um so for me mm -hmm. to move outside to like not even like the nearby prefectures i'm not even thinking like kanagawa or saitama because those are more <laughs> family areas where you <laughs> okay. live out there you yeah. raise kids but still be close and have access to the city yeah, yeah. But i'm talking about like you know a couple prefectures out right maybe like shizuoka or nagano yeah, yeah, yeah. you mm -hmm. know where they're more rural i mean i definitely want to experience that part of it um, but maybe not in my current life phase right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really like staying in, in Tokyo, and that's kind of why I wanted to move to Japan anyways, was to experience the city. Um, in terms of other cities that I want to live in, mm, there's like maybe like Sendai or Fukuoka. Those are mm -hmm. cities I visited that I really like. So, oh, sure, sure. you know, maybe not for long term, but maybe if I was like assigned there for like a month or two to just kind of 
stay there for a longer term just to experience the the pace and local life there because i'm i know it's definitely different you know the pace of life mm-hmm. the the culture of the mm. people and how they approach things it's definitely different from the big city because everything here is just yeah just so fast paced and people are a bit more you know not cold in a bad way it's just you know how things are in any major city like new york yeah. Paris, london mm. is people are busy and they have places to go yeah. and when you go to a smaller city usually the pace of life is quite different like toronto versus you know the east yeah, yeah. part of it or toronto even versus yeah. vancouver is quite different. <laughs> vancouver big yeah, city, but yeah. the pace of life has a very west coast feel to it right yeah exactly mm. yeah. interesting okay mm. like how long can you stay in like actually in Japan, like a well, I'm on a work visa, and you have the option of the three or five year one. I got the five year one um, right from the start, so I think as nice. long as I stay with the current company and they renew it, then I can obtain another visa and another visa and so forth until you know they decide to kick me out of the country. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think it's just okay. to your question, Noya. It just depends on your visa status. Ah, uh, okay. If you, plus a part you're tied to, to a sure, work yeah. company, or you have the work permit, sort of the work visa, then yeah. And I think there's other visas available, like a spousal visa or um, mm-hmm. the special humanities skill one, where you, yeah, well, the PR level, um, you know, you, you have certain points because you know you're contributing or, or your skill set, or you went to a certain school, or you have JLPT. You know, that's all rated in the yeah. system that mm-hmm. I was speaking to another friend on because he's going through the process of. Uh, going through that to get his PR too, so then that oh, wow. kind of changes too. So there's different ways to uh, stay longer in the country. It all just ends mm, up being tied sure. to, I guess, what you can offer to yeah. <laughs> the yeah. being in as a social worker or as a worker, right? Okay, for sure. Mm. Like, actually, do you want to get PR or something? Like for now, like, do you, what do you think for now? I think eventually, if I stay longer, it's something I should definitely consider. Mm. Um, it doesn't really change too much of what I'm currently doing right now. But um, from what I understand, the process for us foreigners is that if you go through that kind of special application where they kind of grade you from a score base, right? Like you know, if you, whether your mm-hmm. proficiency level, your where you went to school academically, mm. your what you're doing in your career, your salary base, things like that you can fast track it and actually get PR much sooner within like a year or so. But I think the normal oh, wow. process is you actually need to live in Japan for like 10 years to get it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, for listeners out there, I mean, if I'm wrong, just, I apologize. I don't have 100% all the details. There's, this is just information I've learned through speaking with colleagues okay. and friends that have lived yep. here longer mm-hmm. than I have. And yep. those that are going through their own processes right now and those who have PR. So they've kind of shared their experience. Again, I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but when I heard like about the 10 years part, unless that's changed on the time of this recording, is actually surprising quite long because from friends that yeah. I knew yeah. that came to Canada, they didn't come as like an immigrant who, or they got naturalized later on. Their process was not like as long, years, right? Like they I worked a few I think years so. yeah. Yeah, or they studied. Yeah. And then they contributed. Exactly, yeah. yeah, they paid taxes, and then yeah, they got a chance to get PR. But here in Japan, it's like you know we need you to do ten years. <laughs> ten years. Yeah. yeah. I guess I guess kind of going off what we were saying before. I guess maybe over over time they'll kind of you know lower like lower the requirement from ten years. Since yeah, maybe quite long. Mm. or they oh, encourage you. you to do the special application where they you know the point system right where they grade you behind your yeah. all the criteria mm. i mentioned earlier right? and you can fast track <laughs> it within a year or two yeah, yeah. i don't have jlpt and and i don't think my current work is that um high graded in like a te- very specialized or technical field right so mm. probably it doesn't make sense to go through the process for me because i already can tell my point system isn't going to be as high as someone who you know has all their ducks lined up right it's like trying to apply for your master's but you don't have your letters of recommendation you don't have your um gmat right <laughs> you're applying already right so it's like maybe you should probably line up get get the process yeah, done yeah, to make yeah. things smoother right because I think it does take time and money. <laughs> for sure, yeah. yeah. Like, as you mentioned before, like, you have to do for 10 years to get the permanent residency. So, like, do you think, like, Japanese, Japanese community, not Japanese community, like, Japanese social is, like, uh, Japanese society is in- exclusive or inclusive? What do you think? Like, when you... Mm. <laughs> talk to Japanese people or 
like when you go to like a city hall, is it easy to like、uh, deal with any processes? What about like what do you think? <laughs> good questions. Multiple layers. I think the whole application process is definitely speaks to the society being very homogenous, and I understand where Japanese Japanese society comes from because you guys have a very long traditional. Culture,、mm. history, right? And you've gone through some changes, some Western influence from from the states, and it's changed things quite a bit. But you are still sticking to certain ways of doing things, right? So、mm. I think Japan, although things are changing, it's still going to be a very homogenous society. And I think the process of PR speaks to it, right? You know, you need to kind of devote and invest ten years of your life, a decade here, mm. Mm. or you can acquire your PR or change your status, right?、Um, So that speaks to it. The second parts to your question, I think, from my experience of you know whether society is inclusive or exclusive, I think it depends on the people you speak with. I think、mm. most of the people we met at Language Exchange Zach are probably、um, paint a different picture because they're coming from Japan and they want to experience the yeah, local culture、yeah. of the places they're going to, <laughs>、yeah. whether it's Canada or.、Um, Yeah, England、like、or all these places.、UK. So they're definitely yeah, yeah. open to speaking English, meeting foreign friends, and things like that. And then when you finally live in Japan, you also、mm. meet the complete opposite of certain people, where they really like Japan. They don't really see any need or、mm. drive to leave this country, and and they just want to stay here. So for them, they're not necessarily the most interested in conversing with foreigners, and you know they like kind of staying with their own local group. You know the local、mm. dialect. Things are they operate in Japanese, so life's good. There's no need to kind of venture outside of that.、Um, now the next part of it was about going to like the ward offices or government buildings. I've never really had any issues with that itself. I think every time I've gone there, they've always been very helpful. Like they know you're、mm. foreigner. They know you have to go through the the Japanese forms, the Japanese bureaucracy, the process, and it's always like you know grab a number, go to this counter. Oh no, not、yeah. that counter. <laughs> Got to go to that one, right? That one's specific for this. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. They have counters for like yeah, every, yeah. From, like you know, <laughs> whether you're changing your address, you're changing your marriage status, or you're、mm. getting a divorce. There's like specific <laughs> sure, counters sure. for that, or something related to your healthcare or your tax. It's it's there, but they've always been very helpful.、Um, mm. But I guess I'm also、mm-hmm. living in a place where more foreigners are. Here too, so maybe right, they, yeah,、mm. yeah, are more. How do I put it? Catered or built towards that, right?、Mm. Like I think some of my friends who I spoke to, or some colleagues, they don't necessarily speak as much Japanese. They end up going to like the government building for help or to update something. They usually just ask, "Can I speak to the English person?" And then the English translator、right. just comes out and helps you. So <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. there's that too, right? Like it's built around、yeah. helping people who don't necessarily speak the language that are here as a as a foreigner, right? Mm. Yeah, I think it helps over time if you can just speak Japanese. I think some、yeah. of the friends I've、mm. made in Japan, whether it was outside of Japan from language exchange or here, it really helps if you can speak the languages. I think one thing that I've、mm. always admired or really enjoyed about learning the language is that Japanese people are very happy that you want to learn their language. They're very open to it. Right? I've never met someone that、mm. oh, like they they may ask you why you want to learn Japanese because it's only yeah, spoken yeah, in Japan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're yeah. very happy that you want to learn. <laughs> Language like they take interest in that, right? And I think being able to speak Japanese, if you meet Japanese people, they're more open to kind of you know that saying when you're learning languages. From I think I think、mm. the book was saying that you know if you speak another language, you are actually talking to that person, right, in their language, right?、Mm-hmm. And another、mm-hmm. saying was what、um, speak another language, live another life, right?、Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. 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 For sure.、Um, I also think that I、uh, kind of speak to a little more. I also feel like. Like even if your Japanese isn't the best, I feel like they they don't really mind. Like,、um, I've definitely heard there are some places where, like, if you don't speak fluently, they they would prefer you just speak English. Yeah, yeah, But, that's definitely the case in my experience. That's why, yeah, Japanese is definitely such a, a friendly language, Zach. In my yeah, I think because、so. I also try to learn Mandarin. And my experiences、mm-hmm. with that is is quite different. When you go to these language exchanges, it's it's quite different. You meet native speakers, and more or less, they kind of wonder, like, wait, why do you want to learn Mandarin when you already speak English? And because they speak、mm-hmm. English, they are more, they actually feel less, how do I put it, obligated or less driven to kind of or motivated to really speak in Mandarin to to、mm-hmm. converse with you. They just end up speaking English. Sure, sure. 
And I know we're on a podcast, but you know, my background is I'm, I'm Chinese Canadian. So they also actually adds another layer because they look at you and they're like, wait, you're Chinese, but you're grew up in Canada. So why do you want to learn mm. Chinese if you already live here? So it's like adding that extra layer of like, huh. <laughs> it's a very different yeah, experience of learning Japanese versus learning uh, Chinese. Uh, sure. <laughs> but do you know some like, actually kanji, like, uh, you know, like, like when you living living in Canada, like, did you run some Chinese characters like by yourself? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's interesting. So because I, Grew up in Canada most of my life. I wasn't born in Canada. I didn't、mm. actually know Chinese or know how to read a lot of、mm. like, characters. So it, you can say that I didn't know how to read my own language, but I spoke it at home growing up with my family, right? Like most immigrant families. Oh, yeah. Them, right? like,、so、it's pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're Indian or Canadian, Italian Canadian, or you know, you speak your dialect, or you know, my、mm-hmm. Jewish friends、mm-hmm. they would speak Hebrew with their family or Russian, <laughs> and then they yeah, speak yeah, English yeah. outside, right? So it's common, but. For me, it's interesting because I actually learned how to read Chinese because I was learning Japanese. But when I started, I refused to learn kanji at that time because I was just being stubborn and silly. I thought I just want the language, right? And, and I told myself, well, I can't even read Chinese. Why would I devote the time and effort and all this energy to learn a language? And at that time, kanji was very complex because in Chinese, as a Chinese speaker, More or less, we have one pronunciation in our characters, right? It's usually the on, onyomi, right? Because it's borrowed from Chinese,、yeah. right? If you're, if you're learning, for listeners learning kanji or learn, studying Japanese. But in Japanese, they have the kun, kunyomi and onyomi.、Yep. So the Japanese pronunciation yeah, yeah. and a borrowed Chinese pronunciation. And then when you see a full on sentence, if you're new to the language, you don't know if, if something should be read as the onyomi or the yeah, 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 kunyomi. Yeah. That was、yeah. already challenging enough. So I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to be able to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> But after like, I finished、um, Japanese courses out of, out of college, I was taking part time.、Um, I、mm-hmm. wanted to take my Japanese a little bit further. And I felt like I wasn't able to really know a lot from these courses. I finished the program, I should be able to speak a lot better, but I wasn't. So I realized one thing that the next thing I could do is probably try to take the exams or study towards them, right? And I realized, well,、mm-hmm. you have to learn how to read kanji. You, you just can't avoid it.、Yeah. It's just one of those things,、yeah. right? If you want to be、For、proficient、sure. with the language. Or have some level of de- fluency, you, there's no going around it. So at that time, I focused more of my efforts on learning kanji from like, I think from like 50 characters up to like 1,500. And then at that time, simultaneously, I was also learning the Chinese pronunciation of them because I figured like, okay, I might as well、mm-hmm. just do this in one shot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So to answer、yeah. your question, I, like now I can read. Chinese characters because I had to learn it through Kanji. <laughs> If you ask me, maybe, I don't know, maybe like seven years ago. No, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's like, I think that's like a really common thing when people learn Japanese is like they, should, they just don't want to learn Kanji because it, I mean, it is a pretty kind of big hurdle, but like for reading, it's one of my weaker like parts of Japanese. But even from the little I know from Kanji, like now when I read something in Japanese, If it's if it's only written in、uh, like hiragana, it's actually more difficult. So, like,、mm. it, it really does suck at the beginning, but once you start to learn some, it actually makes it a lot e- easier to read. Exactly. exactly.、Uh, it、okay. just kind of compounds. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I'm glad like Japanese did stick to like that writing system and they borrowed from the Chinese loan words and, and the kanji、mm-hmm. and the structure of that because, like you said, Zach, to your point, it really does make a big Difference. Like when you're first starting to learn it, you're wondering why can't everything just be written in here? It's、yeah, so easy, right? Exactly. But man, when you have、yeah. to read a lot of context, kanji、mm-hmm. speeds things up so much because you can quickly、yeah. just scheme over a sentence and、mm-hmm. you can kind of、yep. get where the where the vocabulary is, where the loan words are from katakana, and you can get where the grammar、yeah. is because of hiragana, right? Because hiragana is used more, you know, to derive the grammar to kind of、mm-hmm. show the kunyomi from something. So, you know, at the end, if it's something like you're reading taberu or tabemas, You know, it's supposed to be read that way, right? Because it's not all kanji,、yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, like the other thing, too, is that, like, a lot of the time, like, of course, it's good to know the、uh, pronunciations, but since there are so many kanji, you're, you're going to kind of forget. But as long as you can recognize it, recognize the kanji and the meaning, like, even if you don't remember the pronunciation, you, you can still probably guess what the word is supposed to mean.、Hmm. So, like, it's really just.、Uh, I guess another way that kanji is really important、yeah. to learn Japanese, if it is. Yeah. 
there is like a, I don't know if you want to call it an mnemonic system built in, but there are ways that the strokes do make sense that represent certain things, right? But, you know, the three dots means it's related to water, right? Liquid, mm-hmm. things like that, mm, right? And, right, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. You know, there's the the character for like wood and you know it's related to an object or, or something encased in, in wood, right? So there are patterns that are written. It's not just a random bunch of strokes where you yeah. memorize like 2,000 of these. It's like if you learn the base 500, that 500 can actually make the next 500 much easier, right? And then it gets to the point where you get yeah. diminishing return where none of it makes sense by 2,000, right? <laughs> or, you know, like DLPT1, right? Some of the kanji yeah, I look yeah. at, I was like, oh man, like there's no there's no ROI in this, right? Because you can yeah. study all this kanji and just the past exam, probably never use this kanji because like yeah. I speak to like some Japanese friends and they look at it. It's like, yeah, man, I don't even know how to read that kanji. Yeah. I remember um, someone was telling me that like, in Japan, like there's like um, even for Japanese, there's like uh, certifications you could get for knowing how to read yeah. a bunch of kanji but like, there's not really any point in getting it. It's just, I guess, to say that you know Bragging, a lot right? of kanji. Yeah, exactly. Flexing, yeah. I mean, if you're like in like literature or ancient, you know, how characters transitioned into modern Japanese and you need to know like 4,000 of them, then uh, sure, I mean, there's that. Yeah. But I think if you're studying something like kanji and what, what your language goal is, you should probably focus on the effectiveness of the language. So what I mean by this mm-hmm. is that you're, if you're the type where you just want to be in a conversational level where just hang out with your Japanese friends, um, when you're on vacation, be able to order food, mm-hmm. then you probably just need to know about maybe 1,500 kanji. Even maybe that might be too much. Maybe your level is just at 1,000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to know all the kanji. Or just know enough to yeah. do what you need to do, right? It's that part of exactly learning what's effective for the language, right? Like when you first studied, I mean, when I knew how to like approach a language in the beginning, I was like learning all these obscured words that I thought would make my proficiency better. But then I realized, you know, this whole, you know, hour while we're speaking on the second episode, we've probably only used words in the English language that were like common in like 800 level, right? The 800 most common words, (laughs) even by then. Yeah, for sure. You only need 800 words to be able to converse, right? And in in a daily conversation absolutely casual conversation yeah for sure yeah i feel like that's one of the things that when you're learning a language you kind of when you start to use the same words frequently it can feel like you just have a really little bit of vocabulary but like there's just some words in a language that you're just going to use all the time so it's not necessarily a bad thing if you use a phrase common like really commonly because it could still sound pretty native exactly i think Mm. yeah I met like some friends where they never study Japanese, but man, they can really hold a con- casual conversation. No problem. <laughs> they're always like either the loudest in the conversation. Like they're always the more spoken person, you know, driving the conversation. And then you realize them, they haven't really said anything that's overly like very, those are the type of people that, you know, they're the types that can just present with limited information. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess there is an element to that too, yeah. for sure. <laughs> now, yeah, for you, are there any words that you feel you use that you feel like you use too much in English? Oh, in English, okay. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm, yeah, I have a a lot. Like you know, I think yeah, when I when I learned English, I'm still learning English, and then I. I realized that I always use hub, you know, hub, get, go. <laughs> sure, and sure, then sure. and then like you know, like after some like this kind of like verbs, like mm-hmm. there are so many uh like uh, prepositions, you know. Yeah, for sure. That I can yeah. put. And then like yeah. uh it de- like depending on the preposition, you know, it each means different, right? Like yeah for example going through is like uh actually what does it mean like going through like when how can you put this how can you use this like going through i guess there's kind of two different meanings um there's like a literal meaning so it's you could say like you're going through uh, a tunnel for example Mm. but then like you could use it in the figurative sense because you could say like you're going through a hard time. Mm, 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 mm. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, going through a process. Oh, 
process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Went through the process okay, of okay. studying kanji. Yeah. So it's exactly. Not like exactly. Yeah. Literally, but you are going through a, I guess, a systematic like, way of mm, learning. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that. I think. Yeah. Like when I try to like pass the exam in Japan, like to mm -hmm. enroll university or something, I had to yeah. memorize so many, you know, different uh, verbs. And then, but like, for example, when I, when I learn like a participating, mm -hmm. like, like yeah. you can like replace some words like, uh, I think, to which means like to join right to casually to join jo but, join uh, take part join, in take part yeah. in like yeah but mm -hmm. when i you know if i know you know taking part in you know i don't need mm -hmm. to use participate mm -hmm. in right yeah like that kind of thing there are so many you know <laughs> that kind of thing in english so yeah mm -hmm. yeah kind of interesting like, that i know you pointed that because i feel like in english you have more words to describe something similar whereas in japanese you have one word to describe multiple things so when mm. i hear like the word participate join into partake it's sanka right yeah sanka yeah, yeah. And that means all of it but in english you have three <laughs> words or four words to yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's so true yeah. yeah yeah i guess just another one like for example like miru can be mm. like see it can be watch um, view yeah stare like there's so yeah. many yeah. so many but like these are all different words in exactly English. Mm. anything like i think you can if you study like this a language itself not to learn it but the difference of it i think i came across this report from like i think it was from york someone wrote this like the difference of it was that japanese you actually say less but communicate more in that sense right because you're dropping like the pronouns like you don't say i'm going yeah, to the yeah, store yeah. i'm gonna buy eggs and milk i'm gonna gonna check out mm -hmm. there's steak on sale in japanese you only say it once right like you know whether you say boku or wadashi and then from then you just say the, the things you're gonna buy and you move on yeah yeah mm. yeah and it's really prevailing in the language like another example is like what the word um takai it means tall mm. high expensive yeah, <laughs> yeah. those are yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of different in some sense right mm. right so you know if i was just randomly you know if i was hanging out with like you guys and we were in like you know in the city i'm like well you know that building's like Takai. So you're almost like thinking, wait, is he saying the building is tall or is the building expensive? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's more yeah. likely the context is tall, right? But, you know, if I'm yeah. talking about the sky tree, then it's probably also expensive, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say like, yeah, I, I also I was looking at um, I saw this kind of article where it's, it's like kind of like ranking like contextuality, I guess, <laughs> of languages and like japan is like way higher on like mm. how context heavy it is versus english where like i feel like we have to explain things way more in, well i guess in more words compared to japanese like you were saying yeah like that i think yeah when i when i try to come up with like sentences in english you know and then i have to like uh think about japanese how 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 i can mm -hmm. say in japanese and then when i try to construct it it's mm -hmm. so hard like you know <laughs> like yeah english is very i think simple i think more simple than japanese i think you know japanese in some has place. in some place like uh japanese for example japanese has like uh some different levels of like respectfulness like a yeah, yeah, yeah. you know formality yeah, that of the language yeah 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 yeah, then, simpler, yeah. yeah like when i learned english like how to be polite more polite i learned mm. uh like for example could you mm. is more mm -hmm. like polite than can, can you is that correct yeah yeah <laughs> okay i feel i feel, so, I feel yeah. like it's just <laughs> yeah. it's like it goes like it they kind of blend together because like like when you, when you ask like is could you more formal like can right. you like for me, when I think of them, like they're so close, they yeah. almost might as well be the same. Uh, they're both okay. quite polite, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Do you guys like separate? Like, for example, when you go to like, like when you're in the office and then when you talk to the your boss, like, do you use mm -hmm. could you or like would you or like most um... more polite way? <laughs> I, I feel like the biggest difference in English is like 
you're when you're talking to like say your coworker versus your boss like with your coworker you're, it's probably more like you're going to use like more slang probably mm. whereas when you're talking to your boss you're probably not going to do that unless it's like I don't know, kind of neutral slang. Mm-hmm. Like, is like mm-hmm. here, if you said, if you're talking about like loonies and toonies, your boss isn't going to get mad at you mm-hmm. for saying that. Mm-hmm. And also, it depends yeah. on you know, the working environment. If it's a more modern company where the workforce tends to average on the younger side, then that's true. More yeah, like, I worked at a agency too. where yeah. I was quite casual with my, with, my, with my boss at that time. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't really have mm-hmm. to speak with him differently than I spoke with colleagues. You know, he would make jokes and rag on me too. And, you know, mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. to rag on him too. So yeah. It's kind of an interesting working relationship with you have someone where it's more, more informal. Um, um, yeah, I think, just in general, you know, I think it's more informal. Noya, what Noya's asking, I think, I think in the past when I worked in Canada, I there were certain words I would say that would be a little bit more polite and more like friendly in in the business setting. Mm-hmm. So I think when someone came to the office to drop something off, or someone you know dropped off a file, or you have a customer, you mm-hmm. don't necessarily some guy came into. <laughs> Uh, to the store you would say like a gentleman um had come by earlier oh, yeah. to drop off a package or um, a customer had come by and was asking for this right like you would use you know kaksan like that type of words to make something okay. a little bit more softer but you rarely would hear someone say that oh, some guy came to the store man <laughs> like you might tell a colleague that you both <laughs> yeah up, but you rarely would like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like also too like um for example like if you said like thanks to your boss instead of thank you, it's kind of worse. But I feel like you don't have to like stress about it too much. Yeah. Whereas in Japanese, I don't think you would like if you said azus to your boss. I feel like it would be pretty bad, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, like workforce, right? Yeah, like even in my experience, I wouldn't say azus to colleagues that I speak like pretty casually to, right? So but for sure the the language formality is also another layer of challenge in, in this language. Because in English it just doesn't have that level of complexity, right? Yeah. Like mm. soften things with, you know, could you what would you mind helping me? Like that even is more polite than could you, right? Because you're asking someone I'm yeah. inconvenient mm. you, but can you Exactly. Right. So that already doesn't it changes, you know, some of the words you use. But what's interesting, and what I find in Japanese, is that you have different verbs for different like, yeah, levels of politeness. Yeah, like yeah. you, if you mm. ask someone if you know something, you know, shitemaska or shiruka, that's already a level of difference in politeness, right? And then you ask gozonji this guy, right? <laughs> like that's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a new entire <laughs> word, right? If you didn't know gozonji, you're just like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kanji yeah. different too, by the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in like an introduction, I think you have like we have a lot of ways to say like uh, "watashi wa," for example, "watashi wa naoya des" is like most simple way to introduce. But mm-hmm. yeah. "watashi wa naoya to moshimasu" is you know more most mm-hmm. polite way. I think yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. That's I naturally what that. saying I, I am na- naoya and I am called naoya, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in English, that would, that would just be the difference of my name is this and I am this, right? To, to mm. be more polite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, unnatural I... to call yourself, I am called, you know, name, right? Because that sounds so third person, right? <laughs> yeah, like the only kind of parallels with like, oh, like my, I could say like, oh, my name is Zachary, but you could call me Zach. That'd be like the closest thing, I guess, but... Mm. I guess, like, even in Japanese, like, you, I guess you don't really even use, like, nicknames in the office, I would assume, right? It's always, like, you know, nani nani san. Yeah. Right? Traditional. Yeah, last for name. sure. Yeah. Last name with san. Yeah, yeah, it's traditional way. Yeah. We don't say, you know, like, uh, Suzuki-kun or something, you know, for you know, right. my boss or something. Yeah, it's rude. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, we don't really say the subject in all mm. you know mm. in all yeah, the sentences yeah, yeah. you know you know in english yeah. you know you guys have to you have to put the uh, main subject all the time maybe usually usually usually, usually. 
And that can sometimes so, be confusing for like English speakers learning Japanese, I find, because you don't know if like, wait, is he talking about himself now or talking about me, right? Like, did I miss, mm. one, miss the <laughs> like three sentences back, right? Because sometimes they're like, they're talking about themselves, and then it's like, they're asking, oh, wait, you're asking me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least in English, I feel like maybe because we're, na- we're native speakers, so that never comes across as a problem. But at least I find that if you're always saying, I'm going to, you, you, you know, you use the subject, you know what's being referred mm-hmm. to all the time. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just, it's just the different, the nuances of the language, right? <laughs> Languages. Yeah. I guess another thing is like, you know, for the most part, you don't really say you. Usually you just say the person's actual name. Whereas in English, we can say you and sometimes it can be confusing because if you're like in a group of people, whereas like if you're with your friends now yet, like you probably don't use uh, like anata. Anata, yeah. Right? Yeah. Probably anata. just say their name. Yeah, we don't say anata. We just say the name. Yeah, yeah. that I want to talk to. But mm-hmm. like, uh, anata is only, I think, in a book, not book, like in the lyrics of the song. Yeah, sure, Japan, sure. I think anata yeah. or kimi. Yeah, I, was say, I guess kimi would be kind of weird kimi too. Is used in the lyrics <laughs> in Japan. So, yeah, we don't use anata and kimi. Yeah, yeah. I actually don't mm-hmm. hear anata much living here. Like, it's never really used in context or, or spoken right yeah yeah right yeah when yeah. i use it to to make sure i'm not confusing the the topic or the subject even i feel kind of weird saying like i have to like confirm that anatani something something right like i'm mm-hmm. doing this for you and then it just sounds unnatural when i say it right <laughs> uh, yeah uh, or it's actually uh, there's something I was, I was wondering about so for sure for casual japanese like the textbook is definitely totally different but for um for keigo did you find the textbook, I guess, Keigo is similar to how it's actually spoken? Oh, man, that's a that's a tough one, because I when I finished that college course, we did dabble a little bit on Keigo just because like as an introduction, high level, like this is what's expected in this environment when you're speaking in a business or a native level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really found it very helpful. Sure. How do I put it? I find that if you are at that point where you need to learn Kago, then yes, it's like one of those things we talked about earlier. You probably should try to do whatever you can to mm-hmm. immerse yourself with it, right? So whether or not you learn it from a textbook um, or through searches or through getting a tutor or getting someone to really like help yeah. you with it, right? Um, or just one, one thing I've noticed that can help too is sometimes if you're on LinkedIn and you get messages from, let's say, recruiters or companies that are looking for like you know special talent or specific skill sets they contact you in in japanese and that's kind of mm-hmm. where you get some example of how a certain message is crafted from like a very cold call message so sure, that sure. can get you some exposure to kego but to your question zach um i can't speak fully from a textbook of what you learn from a textbook versus what's used but my would say you know do what you can to learn it from a textbook but know that it probably is different from what you will be exposed to if you work in japan and I think that's okay. the most effective way to learn it is when you hear people use it and the context of it, mm-hmm, right? Because you sure. don't know the certain level of certain things, right? Because, I mean, I don't know probably all the details that Noya knows, but I think there's even different words that you say to um, internally with your colleagues, to your boss, to a potential client, to an ongoing client, right? Like the level of certain words and politeness you use is, is also very different too, right? And, you know, I've been on some calls at, at work where we're speaking to a vendor who speaks Japanese and my colleague who can speak multiple languages, you know, she'll just go and start speaking Keigo. And that's when you hear like, you know, Moshi wa kenai, you know, like, or, you know, the level mm. of using that type of, not just asumimasen, right? Like they literally apologize. Right, right. I don't have my business cards on me right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that's where we're gonna wrap things up for this week. Yeah, thank you again, Ernest, for being here for two episodes now. <laughs> yeah, great, my my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I mean, this, like I said in the first episode, this is my first time doing a podcast, but it was a very nice conversation. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think it trans transitioned easily into and naturally into a second episode where we ended up talking about what it's like living in Japan, the experiences of finding an apartment versus share house, the mm-hmm. the, int- the intricacies or the nuances of length of the languages yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah that's like i mean that's like the kind of the <laughs> the goal of our uh, podcast is to have an interesting conversation that you know people might not know about otherwise so yeah thanks for <laughs> i guess allowing it to happen yeah yeah um and so once again um can you just tell people um where to find you 
Oh yeah, sure. So I'm earnest Canadian living in Japan, but on the sides, I have a YouTube channel I do as a hobby where I make videos about my experiences and I document my, or I should say I document my life experiences living in Japan. And that covers different topics from culture of discoveries, uh, food adventures, travel guides. And most recently I had made an apartment tour video showcasing what it's like to live in Tokyo and what to expect when it comes to the cost of living and what you can get for rent. Mm -hmm. So check me out on YouTube. I'm sure all the links will be added by Noya and Zachary in the details of this episode. Um, thanks for hearing me Absolutely. out, guys. If you guys want to learn more about Japan or, you know, stay tuned for this to the series of the podcast or come on over to YouTube and follow the adventures there, too, you know. Yeah, so ho hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can do this again. This mm. was super awesome. Yeah, um, likewise. Yeah, we'll definitely try to. Yeah, hope, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we get to come up with some sort of topic that we could talk about mm. for another two hours <laughs> or something. All right, so yeah, um, I guess for our podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, you name it, probably on it. Next week, as we said, we're, we're gonna have Naya talk about his experience uh, in Canada. That one will be in Japanese. So yeah, thank you for listening and until next week, Matane. 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 Matane.